It's the 16th day of July. Let's read the Bible. Friends, welcome back to this year-long journey from Genesis to Revelation in just one year. Here we are, middle of July, middle of the summer, near the end of the book of Acts. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, let me remind you, if you're new to this and you want to find out the reading guide for the whole year, just go to keepbelieving.com. There at the top of the page, there'll be a link or a drop-down menu that's going to say, let's read the Bible. Click on that. That'll open up a new page. Right there, you can download a PDF, which has the reading guide for all 365 days this year. I hope you'll take advantage of that. Now, I know that you folks are loving this. It has been a fun journey. I got a nice note from somebody who said, can we not read the last chapter of Revelation and pretend there is no end to the Bible bus? Really like this and don't want it to end. Well, I, I want to say to my friend, thank you so much. Kind of the way I feel about it. I have no idea what we're going to do next year. The reason I haven't really thought about that is because we still have, friends, a long way to go. We are early, early days in the second half of the reading of the Word of God. So long way to go. It is fun, and I appreciate so much your support and your prayers. Now, we're going to read today Acts 23, 24, and 25. And all you need to know is that Paul now is going to speak to the Sanhedrin. This is going to be the last time he's ever going to speak to them. This is the Jewish Supreme Court that the chief priests and the scribes, Pharisees, it was this body, it was this body of people. They were the ones who, who when Jesus was before them, they were the ones who ultimately condemned him to death. What will Paul now, years later, what will Paul say to them to explain himself to them? So again, many years have passed, but it is the same judicial body. They bear the guilt, the moral responsibility for the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. What will Paul say? So we begin to read in Acts 23. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. The high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting here judging me according to the law, and yet in violation of the law, are you ordering me to be struck? Those standing nearby said, Do you dare revile God's high priest? I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, replied Paul, for it is written, You must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. When Paul realized that one part of them were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out in the Sanhedrin, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees. I am being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly, assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection and neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees affirmed them all. The shouting grew loud, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party got up and argued vehemently, vehemently, we find nothing evil in this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him when the dispute became violent? commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them and ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them, and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. When it was morning, 
the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who had formed this plot. These men went to the chief priest and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a solemn curse that we won't eat anything until we have killed Paul. So now you, along with the Sanhedrin, make a request to the commander that he might bring him, that he bring him down to you as if you were going to investigate his case more thoroughly. But as he gets near, we are ready to kill him. But the son of Paul's sister, only time this person is mentioned in the New Testament, the son of Paul's sister, hearing about their ambush, came and entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander because he has something to report to him. So he took him, brought him to the commander and said, the prisoner Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the hand, led him aside and inquired privately, what is it you have to report to me? The Jews, he said, have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow as though they are going to hold a somewhat more careful inquiry about him. Don't let them persuade you, because there are more than 40 of them lying in ambush, men who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they have killed him. Now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the commander dismissed the young man and instructed him, Don't tell anyone that you have informed me about this. He summoned two of his centurions and said, Get 200 soldiers ready with 70 cavalry and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Also, Provide mounts to ride so that Paul may be brought safely to Felix the governor. He wrote the following letter, Claudius Lucius, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. When this man had been seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, I arrived with my troops and rescued him because I learned that he is a Roman citizen. Wanting to know the charge they were accusing him of, I brought him down before their Sanhedrin. I found out that the accusations were concerning questions of their law and that there was no charge that merited death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there was a plot against the man, I sent him to you right away. I also ordered his accusers to state their case against him in your presence. So the soldiers took Paul during the night and brought him to Antipatris as they were ordered. The next day they returned to the barracks, allowing the, allowing the cavalry to go on with him. When these men entered Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. After he read, read it, he asked what province he was from. When he learned he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing whenever your accusers also get here. He ordered that he be kept under guard in Herod's palace. So now Paul, Paul has made his way safely from Jerusalem, hotbed of these Jewish agitators. He's made his way to Caesarea by the sea, Caesarea Maritima, right on the Mediterranean Sea. There he's now being held in Herod's palace, Acts 24. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, came down with some elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. These men presented their case against Paul to the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus began to accuse him and said, we enjoy great peace because of you and reforms are taking place for the benefit of this nation because of your foresight. We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with utmost gratitude. But so that I will not burden you any further, I request that you would be kind enough to give us a brief hearing. For we have found this man to be a plague, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the Roman world, and a ringleader of a sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to desecrate the temple, and so we apprehended him. By examining 
him yourself, you will be able to discern the truth about these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews also joined in the attack, alleging that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, because I know you have been a judge of this nation for many years, I am glad to offer my defense in what concerns me. You can verify for yourself that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They didn't find me arguing with anyone or causing a disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city. Neither can they prove the charges they are now making against me. But I admit this to you. I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way, which they call a sect, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept. There will be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the unrighteous. I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. After many years, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people. While I was doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually, ritually purified in the temple without a crowd and without any uproar. It is they who ought to be here before you to bring charges. If they have anything against me, or let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, other than this one statement I shouted, while standing among them today, I am on trial before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. Since Felix was well informed about the way, he adjourned the hearing, saying, When Lysias the commander comes down, I will decide your case. He ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard, though he could have some freedom, and that he should not pre prevent any of his friends from meeting his need. Several days later, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. Now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Phoenix became afraid and said, leave for now, but when I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. At the same time, he was also hoping that Paul would offer him money. So he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. After two years had passed, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. And there in verse 27, we have two years, just, just like that. Two years in prison in Caesarea. Felix married Drusilla. She was Jewish. Felix was interested in Paul, wanted to hear about the gospel. He also was hoping Paul would give him some bribe money to get out of prison. Paul was not going to do that. Two years now passed. There's a new man, Festus. He's in charge now. Chapter 25. Three days after Festus arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. The chief priests and the leaders of the Jews presented their case against Paul to him, and they appealed, asking for a favor against Paul, that Festus summon him to Jerusalem. They were, in fact, preparing to ambush along the road to kill him. Festus, however, answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself was about to go there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those of you who have, who have authority go down with me and accuse him if he's done anything wrong. When he had not spent more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. The next day, seated at the tribunal, he commanded Paul to be brought in. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood against him and stood around him and brought many serious charges that they were not able to prove. Then Paul made his defense, neither against the Jewish law, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar. Have I sinned in any way? But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, replied to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem to be tried before me there on these charges? Paul replied, I am standing at Caesar's tribunal. 
where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as even you yourself know very well. If then I did anything wrong and am deserving of death, I am not trying to escape death. But if there's nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then after Festus conferred with his counsel, he replied, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. Several days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea and paid a courtesy call of Festus. Since they were staying there several days, Festus presented Paul's case to the king, saying, There is a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews presented their case and asked that he be condemned. I answered them that it is not the Roman custom to give someone up before the accused faces the accusers and has an opportunity for a defense against the charges. So, when they had assembled here, I did not delay. The next day, I took my seat at the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought in. The accuser stood up, but brought no charge against him of the evils I was expecting. Instead, they had some disagreements with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, a dead man, Paul claimed to be alive. Since I was at a loss in a dispute over such things, I asked him if he wanted to go to Jerusalem to be tried there regarding these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held for trial by the emperor, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I could send him to Caesar. Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. Tomorrow you will hear him. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the auditorium with the military commanders and prominent men of the city. When Festus gave the command, Paul was brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all men present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has appealed to me concerning him, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he should not live any longer. I found that he had not done anything deserving of death, but when he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after this examination is over, I may have something to write. For it seems unreasonable to me to send a prisoner without indicating the charges against him. The Jews are being foiled at every turn, partly by Paul's wisdom and partly, and maybe even more so, by the Roman judicial system. Oh, they wanted the trial to be held in Jerusalem, home court advantage, and uh, Festus was not going to go for that. So he said, we're going to keep him here at Caesarea. But he didn't know what to do. He listened to the arguments, and uh, it it did the, to me. Now we're tomorrow. We're gonna we're gonna come to the end of the book of Acts. We're gonna see Paul's great defense before King Agrippa. But we'll leave that for tomorrow. Just this, the Easter. I, I preached a sermon once on Easter and the secular mind, and I, I talked about this passage right here, where Festus is trying to explain to King Agrippa, this is a this is a Roman secular man trying to be fair. He said, I listened to the arguments that the Jews had against Paul and uh, it didn't make any sense to me. He said, I thought they were going to accuse him of, of sedition or treason or, or murder or something. He's, instead, I'm reading now from Acts 25, instead they had some disagreements with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, a dead man, Paul claimed to be alive. And he said, I didn't have any idea. I'm completely unqualified to judge these things. There's nothing in the Roman law covering resurrections. 
a certain Jesus, a dead man, proclaimed to be alive. Here we come to the heart of our faith. This is what we believe. This is why we believe what we believe. We believe there was a certain man named Jesus who lived, who died, who was completely dead. And on the third day, on the third day, he rose from the dead. The secular mind has no answer for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are completely at a loss for how to understand. I'm reminded of the words uh, of Billy Graham. We do not preach a dead Jesus, but a living Christ. A dead Jesus has no power to help anyone, but a living Christ can save anyone who comes to him. That's our message today. Not a dead Jesus, but a living Christ. And the world is baffled and has no answer. So, friends, if you can't have a great day today, I don't know how you can ever have a great day because this is it. Jesus is alive. Like the song says, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. So listen, go out and have a great day. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King. The world has no answer for it. Jesus is alive in that spirit with that confidence because that is true. Go out, my friend. Have a great day. Come back tomorrow. We're going to wrap up the amazing Book of Acts. See you then.